0: Hi, and welcome to the UC Architects Podcast. This is episode 15, recorded uh, January 6th, 2013. Had to, look up the, had to look up the date there. I'm your host, Pat Richard, and today I'm joined by uh, Michelle DeRoy, John Cook, Sir Ken Veriglue, uh Michael Van Horenbeek, and Johan Veldus. all the exchange guys, and me, the only link guy, today. So let's go around the table and see what everybody's been up to. Michelle, what's new with you?
1: The new year just started, so it's a bit uh, slow at the moment. So I'm just doing do some upgrade exams uh, on server platform uh, 417, still on my list. So it's the uh, main thing at the moment.
2: <laughs>
0: Good. Uh, John, what about you?
2: Uh, still recovering from New Year's. It's going to be a long, slow recovery
0: <laughs> I, I didn't see your name in any newspaper articles so uh or the That's obituaries good. so uh
2: Though i i cannot remember if i actually did was it was awake for the new year or not so i am still not it's still foggy whether or not i actually celebrated new years or not
0: <laughs> <laughs> our resident uh, party animal so
2: although good glad to be back on another episode uh not much to do with me working uh, getting back into the groove uh, after the break um uh, we got one more test to take to get my MCSE server uh, 2012 so that's kind of what's coming up for me this coming week cool
3: uh, sir can what's new with you um, it's same <laughs> after New Year's new year party I'm still trying to recover as John mentioned <laughs> it was worse here I mean it was really worst here I can prove that to John as well and I'm working on a few projects, including exchange migrations and link, mi- link migrations. Uh, so it's been pretty busy for the last week when everyone came back from their holidays, pumped up, ready to go for new projects and stuff. So. And I'm also working on a few minor troubleshooting problems. And as everyone mentioned, I'm also trying to get my exams. So it's the same things.
0: Ah, yeah, I've got to look at those exams myself, too. I've been kind of putting them off.
4: Uh, Michael, welcome. What's happening with you? Well, uh, compared to the other guys, I had a relatively uh, slow New Year's Eve. But uh, I'm still trying to find my way in the new year, um, uh, nothing much happening really. I did my upgrade on the 31st of December uh, for Windows Server 2012, so I've, I'm all done with that. Woo-hoo! But looking to a trip to Dublin later this week to visit uh, the data center, so really looking forward to that. And uh, probably starting some new projects in the, the upcoming days and weeks, um, but other than that, nothing much. Oh, okay, good. And last,
0: uh, Johan. How's life treating you, Johan?
5: Well, it goes start slow, slow, slow with New Year. Uh, started new project uh, with a new customer uh, last week. And um, finishing up some other projects uh, yeah, this week. So, goes well, but not too hard, as uh, everybody. Good.
0: And uh, myself, uh, just coming off vacation, a a week-long vacation that covered uh, part of the holidays after finishing uh, about an eight-month link migration project, cross-forest project. So uh, um, looking forward to seeing what the new year is going to, to hold for us. And heading into our uh, top stories and topics uh, for this episode, uh, uh, Michael is now an Exchange MVP, so congratulations, Yay. Michael. Yay, congratulations.
3: <laughs> Thank you, guys.
0: And so we've talked about the MVP program in the past here on one of the um, uh, recent episodes, so uh, be sure to listen to that. But uh, uh, welcome to the club, Michael, and uh, I'm sure you've been inundated with information uh, and uh, getting used to... Uh, uh, all the perks and benefits that that entails, but uh, I can say that uh, definitely is well deserved.
4: Thank you very much. It's it's indeed a big thing. Uh, didn't really expect it, and uh, it's it's yeah. It's, it's still trying to find my way around. So now, is uh, it your first time? On you. uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, cool. It is. Cool. So, anyway. uh, so just a couple people left,
0: I think, in our group that are not MVPs. We'll have to work on that. <laughs> but uh, uh, and while we've got you, Michael. Um, a new uh, update for Office 365. Uh, the recipient limit has been increased. Uh, you had some thoughts on that.
4: Yeah, um, I was actually uh, amazed to see that it was raised up till 10,000 at once. I thought it was coming from 1,500. So it's a big raise uh, they did, and um, I think it's for the better. Um, but I don't think they had to raise it up till 10,000 to be to be marked uh, market proof um the reason is i I hit the limit once with a customer who was doing some batch jobs uh, at night they were trying to send out orders to external addresses and they were sending out a lot of lots of them um so we had to be uh yeah we we had to Try and find a workaround so to to find something to work around the fifteen hundred so for them it's it's good to know that they can now send safely send their batches out every night uh, without having to to think about the recipient rate but um for the majority of the people um let's say ninety five percent i don't see myself mailing to more than a few hundred people a day, and even that would be a lot of people. Um, except when you take into account sending to DLs and stuff like that. So, but given the fact that he, they they're able to to raise that to ten thousand recipients per mailbox, that's that's awesome. So, I I think it's a good evolution. But they didn't have to raise it up till ten thousand. But that's just my idea.
0: So that has already been done, or that's uh, happening soon? Do you know?
4: Um, as far as I know, it's already done. Okay. Um,
0: good. So. And we've got uh, a link to the uh, TechNet article we'll have on the summary page there. So, good news. Yeah. Uh, Johan, you had looked at uh, a script for uh, managing analog devices and uh, common area phones in LINK and I had some thoughts.
5: Yeah, yeah I um, found it via Twitter. Uh, someone tweeted about a uh, script uh, about uh, the common area phones and also the analog uh, device switch. Um, Configuring is sometimes pretty hard when you have to uh, configure a lot of them. Um, Some guy who's called uh, Greg in Sydney, this is his website, and we will uh, mention uh, the link in the summary, has uh, created a nice script which is uh, fully GUI based, which can um, help you basically configure uh, both kind of devices. And yeah, I think it's it can be uh, pretty uh, useful when uh, implementing LINK and having uh, a lot of uh, analog devices in uh, common phone areas. So it's, yeah, may, maybe it's a nice addition uh, if uh, Microsoft would also add it uh, to their own product because I think it's something which is missing uh, at this moment. But I don't know how you guys uh, think about it.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I took a, a quick read of the article earlier and, you know, it's it's... It's perfect because he's got the same kind of process that I do. He he clearly mentions that he's forgotten to do a couple of things when he's configured common area phones. So he wrote this script to kind of circumvent his own his own uh, forgetfulness. And yeah, yeah. um and, and it's it lo- it's a beautiful menu. It looks really nice. Um and certainly uh, looks like it, it can help. But you know here here's an example where, uh you know PowerShell comes into play and you use it to kind of help make your own life a little easier and, and release it to the wild and uh, and help everybody. So uh, it definitely, uh, you know, I, I can say I don't do a lot of common area phones or uh, analog devices, uh, but this certainly takes a lot of the the grief out of, uh, you know, trying to configure those and making sure that you, you catch all the parameters.
5: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, at this moment, uh, one of my colleagues is working on the project uh which uh, includes a lot of uh, analog uh, devices. So I pointed them uh, to the script. So I have a look at it, uh, because it can um, make your, your, uh, yourself uh, pretty easy to, to conquer those, because else you will need, uh, as you mentioned already, uh, use PowerShell to conquer uh, the things, which is normally not an issue, but uh, if you forgot something, then, yeah, then you need to go to all the devices, and this GUI makes it really easy.
2: Yeah, he uh, wrote uh, Profiles for Link, too, I think, as well.
5: Yeah, ah,
2: okay.
5: Yeah, he has some uh, nice scripts on his uh, website, so besides this script, i uh, also have a look at the, the rest of his uh, scripts. Really, no, uh, yeah. it's really nice.
0: Yeah, we'll certainly get a, a link to the, uh, to the new script. It's called MadCap, uh, madcap.ps1. Uh, we'll get a link to that on our summary page, so... Very cool. Uh, one thing I uh, came across in the last couple of days was an article about um, a hack or a vulnerability in uh, Cisco phones, Cisco IP phones, which allows somebody to take a small little device, uh, basically a little phone cord with a little tiny circuit on the end of it, uh, plug it into a, a phone jack or a network jack. And turn the microphone of any Cisco IP phone. Uh, turn the microphone on and essentially make it an eavesdropping device. And um, uh, Cisco has acknowledged the uh, vulnerability, and um, uh, but hasn't uh, divulged the impact of it yet. Uh, and they are uh, working on a, uh, a resolution to that. So, uh, an interesting article on MSNBC or uh, NBCNews.com, and we'll have a. Uh, I'll link to that on our our page as well. But uh, uh, for those looking for some ammo against uh, the Cisco side of the world, uh, uh, that might come in handy.
2: That kind of thing sells itself.
0: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you won't see that for a link, I don't think. Uh, Next up, the uh, remote connectivity analyzer. So Microsoft has uh, finally brought all of these the uh, various uh, connectivity analyzers uh, that they have uh, together into one website so they've all they've long had the uh, the exchange connectivity analyzer they've had the link connectivity analyzer and everything uh, they've always been kind of um, completely isolated uh, uh, projects done by each of the project groups or the product groups I should say and and um, now they've brought them all into one web page, uh, testconnectivity.microsoft.com. And from there, you can do all your Exchange server, all your link and OCS uh, connectivity test, um, your Office 365 test, as well as um, a link to download a, uh, an executable that you can run in your own environment and test client connectivity within the environment, which I thought is very cool. Um, and they've cleaned up some of the kind of pain points of s- some of the previous connectivity tests, including a better um, authentication uh, model, where now you you type in the CAPTCHA phrase and it it keeps you logged in for 30 minutes. Now you can run as many tests as you want during that 30 minutes. Um, so that's definitely going to be uh, a lot easier than having to uh, um, type in one of those difficult phrases uh, every time you want to run a test. So has anybody used this at all?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a been a part of my tool set, so to speak, for a long, long time. It's, it's good to see them, um, you know, constantly updating it. The team uh, that's responsible for it's been pretty good at, at you know, keeping this updated and and working on it over the years. And the capture thing has always been the one, like, the one, like, please, can you get rid of the capture? At least fix it. They've done a, a lot of work at getting it better than it used to be. If you guys remember, in the 1.0 days, the capture was a train wreck. It was drive you nuts, but uh, it's much better now. And I I agree, I like that kind of tokenized half an hour logon. Yeah, it's nice.
0: And, uh, you know, I've I've talked to some of the people that were behind, you know, getting the original Exchange connectivity test kind of implemented. And it was basically just for their own internal uh, testing. And it was kind of done on the side. There was no um, formal acknowledgement from Microsoft. They just kind of just kind of did it, you know, which is why you, you didn't see the the Microsoft name um, anywhere on it or you didn't see, uh, you know, the domain name did not go to Microsoft. It was always completely isolated. Right. And so now, you know, bringing everything together, bringing it under the, the Microsoft uh, domain name, I think, uh, give people a little bit better feeling about it. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is definitely a test. I, I point a lot of people to it. Um, when, when stuff doesn't work. You know, we get questions about, hey, I'm trying to trying to get this configured and it's not working. And, and if you use the remote connectivity analyzer, um, you know, not only will it tell you yes or no, but it, it tells you basically where to look uh, if something fails. And uh, that is definitely something that can uh, uh, save you some time.
1: Okay, has anybody got any experience with the offline uh, client version, which is... Uh Embedded and downloadable from the Remote Connectivity Analyzer website.
4: Nope, not yet.
0: Not yet, Good, and it's, that, it's still in beta. I haven't played right.
1: with it yet, though.
2: Yeah, i, I play played with it a couple times. It basically goes out and does uh, basic auto-discover checks and then EAS checks. Um, so it kind of just takes offline the, you know, and you can tell it to not use manual, uh, you know, to use the auto-discover process or do it, you know, man- other things manually. But, yeah, mostly it's just testing auto-discover. In, in, a lot, in a lot of ways, it's nice because it does, it does a lot of what, of what the uh, the check with an Outlook does, but if they'll say you don't have Outlook or don't feel like, you know, logging on to, say, another account or something, another profile to test that, you can use this to test the same kind of thing.
0: Yeah, there's there's actually a, a YouTube video, too, about the connectivity analyzer, so we'll get uh, we'll get all the links to that uh, posted. But definitely something to keep in your, your, your toolkit, so to speak. But, uh, John, while we've got you... Um, uh, new updates for uh, Link Phone Edition in December. So what's happening with that?
2: Yeah, this came out, the last revision on the KB, which we, we'll put a link to, um, was the 24th of December. But basically, you know, update to to uh, the uh, uh, Link Phone Edition hardware, Polycom uh, 500, 600, 3000s. I didn't see anything from HP on this, unless I'm looking just directly at the... Uh, at the polycom versions. but uh, you know, typical uh, bug fixes. Bu- bu- the, the, new, the new feature functionality uh, looks like that was added was uh, uh, music on hold. Um, but I think for a lot of people, this is going to be a big deal because there's been people complaining for years that there's been ever been music on hold on Link phones, but uh, this adds it. Down. I haven't actually tested this. I haven't deployed. Um, the new version will be 4366. Um, for the client version, um, and uh, I haven't had anyone—I haven't had a chance to test the on hold function. I haven't had, had a chance to test that yet. I know you can't change the music. I'm, I'm not sure what the song is right. playing.
0: So essentially, um, there's there's a couple of gotchas with it. Um, it does not work on the Polycom CX700 or the Nortel 8540 commonly right. called the tanja phones, which are my favorite phones. And um, uh, I have one of those on my desk. Actually, I have one of each on my desk. And um, the reason why is because those devices are not capable of playing um, the file, and the file is actually embedded in the firmware that gets sent to the phones, which is why you can't, cha- you can't change it at all. Um, I have not... Um, uh, played with it yet, but it does require you to enable music or client music on hold in the client policy, um, right. and then after that, then uh, placing a, a call on hold, you should hear the music. But I, I've not played with it yet either, uh, mainly because we have uh, CX 700s everywhere.
2: Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward. We'll post a link to the, to the KB. Um, you know, typical process for enabling the updates, installing, you know, extracting the cab. Um, installing the update file, approving the, the updates uh, to device types, and you know, testing with a couple Mac addresses. That same old procedure applies.
0: Yeah, Je- Jeff Shirts has a, a phenomenal article on how to update um, firmware for phones.
2: That's the uh, go-to one I use. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it's like uh, I could never remember the process.
0: <laughs> and there's actually a, a script out, to a PowerShell script that that kind of automates everything that I've written. Um, that's on my, on my blog too and we'll get a link out to that because I can never remember it you know, and getting back to the, uh, the Madcap um, uh, script uh, this, the same thing occurred with me I could never remember the, the, the process uh, for updating firmware on phones and I would always have to go to Jeff Schertz's uh, article and so I just automated the entire thing and, and, and made it a little easier for myself so uh, we'll get links out uh, for everything on that Michael, you had uh, uh, seen the article by Michael B. Smith about Exchange 2013 gotchas and uh, what's up with that?
4: Yeah, well, um, I was going through the article and it is a very nice summary of uh, all the things that you definitely need to keep an eye on when uh, when you're busy with Exchange 2013. So he did a pretty good job um, uh, making a list of everything uh, that's missing, basically. Uh, or the things that changed um, but I don't entirely fully agree with, with everything um, although he's, he's technically right for instance he says well there's no best support um, well I, I would say there's no best support yet um, the same thing goes for the, um, the CDO download it's not yet available so um, well it's entirely technically true um, I think that some things should be put into perspective because not much people can deploy Exchange 2013, so it's not a big deal that the support for uh, BES is missing, uh, the BlackBerry server, that is. But there was one thing that I was actually very surprised not to find in the list, and that was the fact that um, he didn't mention that uh, if you want to integrate um, uh, OWA with Link, you now need to do a uh, manual configuration in the web.config file, which worked before with just a simple commandlet. So, that's definitely something to add on to the list. But, um, I don't know if any of you guys did take a look at the list, and what's your favorite topic? Um, Could be an interesting discussion.
5: Yeah, I read uh, the article uh, uh, from Michael. uh, It's a pretty good article, but as you already mentioned, uh, there's not something really new in it. Uh, There are all things which are... uh, yeah, which were already uh, known by the most uh, most of us. Um, but yeah, I, I like the, the discussion which he had while uh, giving the training with uh, with the with the trainees about it. And yeah, in some points, yeah, are are valid, but yeah, that that that's what he already knew what uh, that what was going to happen because. Microsoft uh, they told us that uh, SP3 for Exchange doesn't. Then that we need to wait on it, and that migration wasn't possible, and only deployment in a greenfield uh, was an option. So yeah, I I understand the article, but yeah, I, I do not think that uh, that a lot of customers already are looking to, uh, to migrate to Exchange in 2013. Well, I've spoken to a few of them, but yeah. You know, for example, when looking at uh, backup software, uh, there are uh, not many vendors who already are have a product for it, and yeah, backup yeah. is one of uh, one of the most important things. So, yeah, the only solution you now have is to use DPM for Microsoft. Then, well, a lot of my my customers are using other products. Uh, for back on their
4: clean environment well usually what 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 you see is that um, about 90 days after GA of a product um, you see the other products backup software being adapted or being certified for the product to be working with it and I remember back in the days when exchange 2010 was re- first released it took backup software makers ages to come out with something that was actually capable of uh, running with a DAG uh, or actually backing up something within a DAG or doing yeah. that correctly. So um, I, I kind of see history being repeated right here because um, yeah. we're we're about a month later, a month and a half, maybe two months later after uh, it was announced. And um, there's not, nothing much out there. Um, there is indeed no best support. There is no good backup support, although some of the bad- backup products, they do work. Um, I know I, I tested Veeam uh, in a lab just to see what it did, and it works. Um, you yeah, can do worked. lots of fun things with it, but it's not certified yet. And something that isn't guaranteed it's, isn't something that you'll put into production, right?
5: No, and I think, I think that's one thing where Microsoft has to... Uh yeah, has to do it much better with with future future products because and now we have products, but yeah, we we can't put it in production because you know, we are uh, dependent on, um, for example, DPM, which a customer might not might not want to use. But that's just one thing. You know? Think about the um, antivirus, the 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 solution which Microsoft has implemented in its uh, 2013 product. Yeah, it does some basic things, but as we discussed in our previous episodes, it does not do all the all the things. So you will need to rely on a third-party product, Yeah, it's also not there.
0: And there, yeah, and there's no forefront for exchange, no forefront protection for Exchange 2013 either. No.
5: Yeah, I and, I I know some fans are working really hard to, to get their product ready, but I think it it would be better for for us and for the customers, and also for Microsoft, if they, um, you know, if they will uh, will talk to the vendors and involve them more in, uh, in the development of the product, because yeah, now it's waiting, 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 and as Michael said, maybe we have to wait more than six months. Well, I, I don't think uh, that's, um, yeah. That that that's a big platform for for exchange because yeah now we have a new product and we have to wait Well yeah. some customers may say hey let's migrate to the new version but they don't think about the risk they uh, they will take.
4: There's definitely definitely a slow uptake at the moment uh, but yeah. that's mainly because Service Pack three right, is available. This
2: is, yeah. this is a, I think a unique uh, uh, sure. Uh, you know, cycle in that yeah. You know, nobody can go to it right now. <laughs> I mean, everyone's like, oh, okay. I'm not even thinking about it because we can't even touch it yet until the SP3 hits. So,
0: yeah, I think the nice thing is that you know it's out, so you can, <coughs> you can play with it in your lab, and uh, and push the buttons and 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 blow things up and see how it works and everything. I think the fact that uh, Microsoft was able to pull off this whole Wave 15 thing all at one time, I think, is pretty good. But uh, definitely, yeah, there are some things that uh, you need to wait for, uh, antivirus uh, and backup and things like that. Um, and, and Michael's list uh, does does talk about a couple of things like that, um, some kind of inefficiencies or, uh, you know, missing things. Um, and, and it's certainly not a, a, a totally complete list, like, you know, like you mentioned that uh, – uh, the configuration for OWA for link integration is is not listed there, um, and hopefully that'll get resolved and changed to a commandlet in um, in the first uh, cumulative update for Exchange. Uh, by the way, that's what they'll be called now. They won't be update rollups; they'll be cumulative updates. Uh, kind of uh, uh, come into the same naming convention as Link. So. But uh, Michael, you know, his list is is definitely it's a, it's a good long list, and definitely something that um, if you're looking at Exchange 2013, you should you should definitely take a look through this, and make sure you understand some of these uh, some of these gotchas and and figure out how they may or may not uh, affect you.
3: It yeah. has few missing things as well, like SharePoint integration, site mailboxes, and, uh, it's a pretty good list, but overall. I mean, it has. I, I believe it has some features missing in there, and um, I, yeah. Go
4: ahead. Go. Sorry.
3: So it's uh, well. If you want to learn about 2013, I mean, it's a pretty good start to read about it. But as we, as you all said, I mean, we we all remember 2010, right, when it came out. We had the upgrade pattern and everything. Uh, 2013 is a unique uh, product here where we have to wait for an upgrade path for the proper migrations and stuff to use all the features, and it's completely integrated with Link and SharePoint when you look at it, so we have to wait for all the products to get in line in one point, also including third parties, and when we look at the third parties, we can pretty say they are not ready, and I'm sure they will get ready soon, and I'm sure that's those third parties are working hard on it to get it up there. Um, I I have the same problem with my clients as well uh, which wants to go to link 2013 and use exchange archive mailboxes which they can't as well uh, because 2013 migration is not available at the moment for them until service factory is out. So I think we are all having these issues but it's a good idea to give a bit of time until everything settles for a uh, 15 wave. Of this 15 wave to come into a point where we can use all the products properly, migrate uh, properly, and we have the third party support for them.
0: And so you were saying that um, your your customer cannot can't do it because the archiving that they want is for link 2013, which is built into exchange 2013. Um, and they can't migrate to exchange 2013 because the required service pack uh, for exchange 2010 out. is not out yet. Right. And of course, yeah. uh, uh, Microsoft has said, you know, uh, soon, <laughs> um, <laughs> very, soon. <laughs> very soon. And, um, and hopefully we'll see that sooner than later, but uh, yeah, definitely kind of a catch 22 where you, you, you can't really do that. So, uh...
3: I mean, it's not just affecting Exchange product. I mean, it's affecting all other products when you look at it. It's uh, Office Wave, right? It's Office product. And when you look at it, it's a whole product where you use SharePoint, Link, and Exchange together, and you want to integrate and have, the, have all the features in place, including unified messaging. Right. And it's pretty hard for the clients as well at the moment to wait for exchange to come up with 2010 service factories so at least they can go to 2013 and they are still unsure about few things which we are trying to convince and which we are trying to say that it's pretty safe to go ahead with I have clients who are using Retention policies. They're unsure if anything will happen to their retention policies when they move to 2013 address book policies. I don't know if you guys have uh, tested those out, but uh, I mean, I, I haven't. I did it on my uh, test environment. Mine- my environment, but I haven't tried it on a production environment yet. I look at other policies, what will happen with those, and if they will, if they are working properly on large environments and stuff. So I think it's pretty early to discuss 2013 uh, or Office 15. Way, uh, it's better to give a bit time. And when I look at when I look at this blog post, uh, it's pretty good. I mean, it's overall. Giving a summary of the things at this moment, but I hope he keeps updating this post as the products come out or anything changes on the product
0: and and i'm I'm sure he will so and Michael B. Smith is uh, a long time exchange mVPs uh, yeah. MVP and uh, he was also on the exchange twenty thirteen tap program, so he's been playing with twenty thirteen for quite some time. Uh, and he'll definitely, I'm sure, update that post or uh, come out with another one uh, with some more information soon. So.
2: Yeah, I'm actually going to it uh 13 Ignite next week in Chicago, um, so I'll report up if I get any more information as well.
4: Well, what, what I like about the, the, the blog post is that he took the, the time to actually write it down, um, so state the obvious, and when you look at it like that, You definitely see there's still a lot of work to go. Um, It's it's really combining every little thing that you expect to be done at RDM, which isn't. So it's it's a good reminder for the Exchange team, they still have a long way to go. And um, For instance, the the fact that there are commandlets in there that shouldn't be in there, that's something that I find really painful. even at rtm it shouldn't be that much of an issue to remove some of the commands that are obsolete, you know so um overall, even though there are some things missing, uh, as you said um pat uh, I'm sure he'll he'll update it, but it's it's still a good, good overview uh, one stop to to take a look at things that are that should be but aren't you know
0: well you know if uh, if they don't fix the manual entry of the web config file. I'm just going to have to write a script to do it for us. <laughs> <Did> <laughs> so, I, yeah. so I don't look at it as a problem. I look at it as an opportunity.
2: That's the spirit. Good. So uh,
0: thanks, Michael, if you're listening, to for uh, creating that list, and we look forward to, uh, to anything else that you add to it. Uh, moving along, um, Michelle, uh, you had some work comments on this, what I can only – Classify as uh, a complete buffoonery of uh, Google to drop ActiveSync <laughs> from Gmail. I, I just I, I cannot understand why they would do this. But uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, not being a Native American, I have to look at buffoonery, but I, I can think of what it means. Well, um, I saw like like most of you, I saw the. Um, what was called, uh what called the the winter clearance action of uh, google where they announced dropping uh, uh, active sync support for free gmail accounts and um yeah I just noticed it but I was asked by a reporter to have some uh, some deeper comments on that and he only used to a few quotes of that so i decided to put in a blog post uh, with the complete uh, commentary and yeah um Uh, Like you said, it's it's potential mishap of Google to just drop ES and yeah make customers force customers into looking into alternatives uh, how to sync their content from the devices to the Gmail account or and what's uh, what also can happen is that people start looking into alternatives for the free Gmail account in alternatives which with do support active sync like outlook.com and uh, microsoft is currently actively plugging that uh, as an alternative and google is uh yeah uh, throwing up some uh uh, tools and utilities to um yeah make the whole of content uh, sync with your device like uh, the agenda and the context besides the the mail mail information which can be synced using IMAP, yeah, that's not very user-friendly, in my opinion. So, has anybody, uh, Johan, uh, any comments on this, or
2: perhaps uh, John? Well, you know, I feel about Google in general. I I think, yeah, I mean, uh, the the outcry's been pretty pretty, pretty loud, Um, you know, I guess if you're a male person... I thought we were. I thought IMAP was the old way, and, and ES is the new way. You know, it seems like we're going backwards. But on one hand, I can understand them doing it from a you know we don't want to have uh, our customers uh, relying on someone else's back end product. I guess but you can look at it from that you know, devil's advocate perspective. But to me, uh, it's just completely asinine. But you know, and then again, this is what Google does, they l- l- they lure people into their clutches with, you know, free stuff, and then they pull the plug when people start using it, and then, oh, well, I said, well, you know, it was it was free after all, so, you know, what do you expect? Uh, you know, ultimately, they're going to get a lot of bad uh, bad press and ill will out of it, and people are going to move out elsewhere, um, especially, and what's the, the issue with the Windows phone? People can't even really use the, 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 the Gmail application about look at all, right? So, now you've got a whole bunch of people, you know, whether you argue the platform is huge or not, there's still billions of people on the platform that are now totally screwed if they want to use that platform and and, uh, and Gmail. So, um, you know, it's it, it wasn't the best way to go, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, in my well, opinion.
0: Well, well, not only that, but, I mean, you know, Windows Phone's not the only device that has EAS built into it. I mean... You know, most I think most devices do now, because every, because yeah everybody uh, pretty much uh, leverages it. I mean even um, there's even EAS support for Lotus Notes. Um, so you know to pull this out I think is just you know the left hand doesn't know the, what the right hand is doing and, and and like you said John they're gonna they're gonna piss off a lot of people. They're gonna lose a lot of customers who are just gonna think hey it's it's gonna be easier if I just go to um, you know, Outlook.com or whatever, which has a nicer interface and, and seems a little bit faster, or whatever the case may be. Um, I I think if they did this just to get out away from Microsoft techn- technology, I think they made a grave
2: mistake. Yeah, well, it's kind of like you know, you know, uh, uh, cutting off your nose and spite your face, right? I mean, it, it's 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 an established standard. Uh, it's it's pretty much universal now. I mean, we talked about other episodes where yeah, there could be anomalies between you know the licensees. Uh, support for ActiveSync and and you know and some problems that can go along with it, but generally it's a very good pro- uh, you know, standard, and uh, it's more or less universal these days. Um, it just makes no sense. Uh, and then the other thing that really you know kind of oh. anger, angered me on top of it all was all this fud around. Well, you know, EAS choose your battery life on the phone and blah blah blah. So good riddance. And and, and people are like, what are you talking about? You know, like you know, I've been yeah. using EAS since you know 2003 and and. Uh, And uh, sure, you might take some uh, extra battery hit, but but we're talking about negligible for ours, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, So it's you know that kind of stuff really aggravates me too.
0: Yeah, there's there's been some, I I guess, some hiccups or maybe, you know, some discussion around uh, some vendors having some issues with some features via ActiveSync, and it's. It's come down to that vendor's implementation of ActiveSync. It's not the protocol itself. It's right. not. It's not anything else. I mean, Apple's had the same problem. They've had some issues with ActiveSync. Um, when it's when it's implemented correctly, according to the way that Microsoft intended to, it freaking works. And uh, and I've got you know a half dozen uh, ActiveSync accounts configured on my phone, and I never have a problem with them. And and it's just. It's so simple. It's easy to, to configure from a user standpoint. It, it just works from, uh, from a messaging administration standpoint. Um, I, I, I don't know, Un- unless there was some licensing fee or something that Google wants to get rid of, but I, I, I just don't see the logic here.
2: Well, it's also um, kind of, you get spoiled down with the with the Windows 8 uh, uh, mail client being accessing face. Now, I have a scenario where, you know, I get a new, a new e- email and across all my machines that are online, uh, I'll get the notification on my phone and all my Windows 8 mail clients uh, before I will in Outlook. You know, so it's like, uh, come on, Outlook, you know, <laughs> come on, download the message, please. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of already getting used to the speed of having an, an EAS client on the desktop, uh, you know, uh, or even over Outlook these days.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that Google's just evil.
2: Well, <laughs> well I mean, uh, t- technically not a monopolist, though, according to the FTC. <laughs> well, not only that, but from an uh, Office
1: 365 point of view, your uh, server can vary um, because when using How to Discover, it automatically switches when you need to connect to a different uh, front end. But IMAP, uh, if people looked at it, you had a TRB. Number dot outlook.com thing, which can vary. So you may need to switch that manually when Microsoft decides to uh, switch your account somewhere else or position your account. <laughs> yeah, from uh, from an end user experience, it's it's a real hassle. Also setting it up without a discovery, you just enter your email address and password, and that's it. And with that IMAP server this, ser- SMTP uh,
2: server that. Yeah, I know. I'm not a on of <laughs> yeah, along those lines, too. I mean, there's a lot of environments I've been where IMAP simply is blocked. So, you know, you go on a company's Wi Fi, and now all of a sudden, you know, you can't get on mail at all because they used to leave alone uh, uh, accessing, you know, being 443. But, but now I've been to a lot of places where IMAP's blocked it out. So, uh, you know.
5: And, uh, and don't forget the uh, the SMTP, which is uh, sometimes blocked uh, by providers. Well, I think uh, Google uh, will nail itself and I hope uh, maybe may lose a lot of customers.
1: Yeah, but like uh, uh, Tony Whitman also had up an article on the on this issue and his main point or actually uh, suspicion was that it was a licensing thing and Google was just cutting costs by uh, scrapping the, the license fee required to support ActiveSync uh, more or less.
0: Well, they have been dropping features and services like crazy at Google, so um, I I suppose I could see that, but I I, I would think that in the grand scheme of things, something that is so important to the way that devices connect to messaging, that this would be something that they would want to keep. But, you know, who am I?
2: Well, yeah, they're hurting for money, I'm sure, too.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. Uh, fast user switching and link voice calls. Um, Sirkin, you ran into this problem and uh, 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 found a resolution online. What was the issue?
3: Oh, well, it, it was a weird one. <laughs> well, this is how it happened. Uh, a user was logged on to this Windows 7 machine and they had their link client up and running. Uh, another user came up. They used fast user switch where you say like I'm going to log in and you know the other user is still logged in so the other used fast user switch and logged into the desktop ran the link client and now when they make a phone call through the link client a PSTN call they keep hearing endless ringtone and when they try Video conference, the goal ends, drops automatically, and it doesn't work. And I was searching for it, and I only found this one post from a guy from Norway, and he mentioned the same problem where he said, if you Do these steps and use fast user switching and log into the link. You will have the same problem. And I mean, we've been experiencing this with few clients now. Because what happens uh, in my clients is they don't log off. I mean, if someone else comes up, they just use the uh, fast user switch and log into their profile and start using the services on their desktop. And there is no actual resolution for this, unless if you don't log off the other user. Uh, there is an option to disable fast user switch through group policy, but this doesn't fit to my client. So you can either write a, a script or a different process where you log off the or where you shut down the communicator process, uh, where you shut down the link process for the user uh, when someone else logs in, and that will probably work. But I haven't had a chance to find the proper solution for this. Uh, we will be mentioning this link uh, probably on our uh, website about this issue. There is no... Actual solution for this problem. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have ever tried it or have seen this before, but it, it's a pretty weird thing. I mean, you have two clients on the machine, one of them is locked, the other one comes in, and we do see this on mostly on a uh, companies where the reception is changing after a few hours, like every four hours any person comes in and the other person locks the computer, so the other one uses best user switch and logs in and launches their link, and now they can't make any PSTN calls or can't join to any audio-video conferences.
0: Hmm, Interesting. I'll bet that was uh, driving people crazy till they figured out what was going on there.
3: Oh, it took a few days. He <laughs> was like, "This is not imp- this is not possible. <laughs> it should be working." <laughs> hmm. Yeah, we figured it out. I mean, the only option is currently what we are doing is logging off the other user. but it's not a proper solution when you think about it because fast user switches is a Windows seven. And Windows 8, it's same. I mean, you have this option to use it. So I was wondering if you guys ever tried it on a Surface where you have two users. Uh, that's my second point. That's what I want to try. Uh, I have a Surface client and my wife is logged in. I'm using Fast User Switch, then log in with my account. Her process on Link is running. Um, and I want to see if my Link process causes any trouble with the and calls or anything. I don't tried that, but that's my second step.
0: Yeah, I haven't tried that yet, but it would be a cold day in heck when uh, I let somebody else touch my Surface. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. I haven't, uh, I, <laughs> I haven't logged in with another profile I seen it myself.
3: I know, but that's, what I, <laughs> that's how I convinced my wife to get a Surface, right? I told her that that's hers. That's why I bought a pink keyboard.
0: Well, glad to see that you at least figured out what was causing the problem, even if you don't have a, a, a valid uh, resolution for it. At least you know what's going on there.
3: Mm. Well, I hope they resolve it. And this guy is mentioning that. Uh, I'm just going to read it uh, where he says, uh, he says for the solution Microsoft has confirmed in mail that there is an issue with the fast user switching and communicator or link. They have also done some investigating on this, but the change has been considered too large for the current available clients, so they dropped it, and there's no resolution at the (laughs) moment, so I'm not sure what will happen on that, but uh, if you guys get a chance to try it, try it, and you'll probably hit the same problem that I'm having at the moment with my clients. So well, let me know if you find the solution as well. I'm still searching for it. And if I find anything, I'll we'll let everyone know as well.
0: Yeah, and we'll have a, a link to the, uh, the article that you found uh, on the summary page as well. And last up uh, for this episode, uh, as if becoming a, uh, an MVP wasn't enough, uh, Michael is going to go through the Microsoft Certified Master Process, uh, a.k.a. MCM, and uh, uh, Michael tell us what the process has been so far
4: well um, first of all the process starts with um, in my case convincing my employer <laughs> to <laughs> to pay for the the tuition um, but uh, the beginning of December they agreed to go to go uh, into the entire story. Um, for the MCSM, because that's the new, uh, the new name for the program. And, uh, that's when the application starts, so that you have to register on a website, um, and that you have to meet all the prerequisites. And one of them was actually uh, having an MCSA server 2012. So that's why I passed it last year already. Um, and uh, if you go this year, uh, you don't have to be an MCSE uh, exchange server, but if you try to attend the MCM, program in 2014, you'll have to have an MCSE uh, exchange server as well, uh, which is somehow logical, I think. Um, But that was uh, was it, actually. So I I got in pretty easily. because the rotation for Exchange 2013 um, hasn't been given yet, so it's, it's brand new. They're uh, probably not that strict on, on who they let in. So uh, um, that's, that's probably the reason why I got it in the first place. But
2: um, yeah. Did you, did you submit, uh, did you have to submit a uh, resume and examples of your work?
4: No, I didn't. Um, huh. So uh, that's that. That was something that I didn't expect, actually. So I was. Um, uh, that's how it used to be. Yeah, it's actually how it's. Going to be, uh, again But given that it's the first rotation And they don't know who's going to register Apparently Or um, uh, perhaps they already had My detail, I have no idea But I got an email from a friendly woman Telling me, well, we don't require that at this moment So just go ahead and register Um, So um, I was pretty um, uh, Yeah uh, I I didn't expect it So uh, that was That was uh, uh, good because yeah, I couldn't be rejected for whatever reason. But um, I think it was Dave who was trying to register for uh, MCSM as well, who didn't know that either. So they didn't put it on their website that it wasn't required at this time. So um, yeah, uh, probably it'll change again or in the future, or maybe they change the prerequisites overall. But um, for, for those who don't have an idea what an MCM is, uh, we've got one amongst us. Uh, it's called John. So, <laughs> John, go ahead and <laughs> tell us, what is it?
2: Uh, well, sure, yeah, and, and you see the the problem's evolving. So, you know, just to give a, I think we might have spoken about this on previous episode. So, back, uh, you know, uh, I think 2002 timeframe, 2003 timeframe, um, you know, the... Uh, There are difficulties with deploying Exchange 2000 with the AD requirements and and things along those lines. So there's a lot of failed uh, uh, implementations. So Microsoft kind of um, decided to to do a very intensive, very structured uh, advanced certification uh, process for Exchange. and that was called Microsoft. Uh, that was called basically Exchange Ranger. Uh, it was an invite-only kind of thing. Um, initially, it was only um, uh, Microsoft employees only, and then over time, it opened. It was opened up to uh, bigger partner-type companies, HP, Unisys, that sort of thing. And uh, it was extremely difficult. Um, there was a uh, entrance kind of exam uh, to to even get in. Basically, um, um, uh, like environmental dep- environmental dependency course, where you had to you know. No now of DNS and th- those kind of things even you know kind of get in uh, it was very much pass fail um, uh, and uh it was sort of like you know if you if you failed one thing you were done so over the years it w- it was kind of the way it went um and like I said it was a bi- pretty much invite only and uh but then in the two thousand what uh, eight time frame um they changed the program and and as a prerequisite uh, or as a precursor to that uh, the Microsoft certified architect was the extension uh of of the program so at the end of it all was i think six weeks at at one point um you know with uh with three weeks of it being uh the technical component uh two weeks being passing your board component and then i think some time in between the, the, the schedule kind of changed over time if i remember right so um in 2008 time frame they kind of Decoupled the, the 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 board component for MCA um, and made the prerequisite uh, uh, for for the board component the technical track and that was what the technical track was three weeks and that's what became Microsoft Certified Master. Um, I was in the very first that very first rotation um, for change you know, 2007 uh, back in I think it was October 2008 if I remember right. Um, and uh, it's you know it's an awesome program we've talked about it before it's extremely expensive the the, the full rotation cost is still uh, 18,500 so it's when Michael was talking about getting permission to, for costs uh, you know it's, it's no small small thing for an employer to want to component up that kind of money well, and, not, and
0: not uh, only that it doesn't cover you know travel it does right cover, right I was uh, gonna say yeah that's
2: that's not including, including bill billables for three weeks um, and uh, and expenses so just to give you a background so you know uh, a lot of times on the very first rotation They'll be what they call beta rotation while well, they're getting the, you know getting the, te- the, 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 the testing you know 100 done the, the questions you know worded right that sort of thing um, and getting the curriculum done so a lot of times those beta rotations will be less expensive um, and uh, so I have been through a beta rotation my rotation was a beta rotation for exchange I've also was through the uh, exchange or link 2010 uh, beta rotation as well so I, you know I, and I'm you know being independent these are coming out of my pocket so I would go on those to save a few bucks but still we're still talking about uh, quite a bit of money, uh, like I said, and and, and and there's no hope of being able to bill while you're there, so get that out of your head, <laughs> so you're getting zero revenue plus expenses plus the tuition cost, um, you know, just from a, an outlay, it's it's quite a bit of money, uh, and not to mention the time and, and effort, but, um, so yeah, I mean, so this is what we talked about, so the, the program is now evolving into this kind of new, you know, third generation, I guess you want, you want to say it this way, to MCSM, um, kind of one way trying to be an extension of the, um, MCSE program now, the new MCSE program, so that, you know, if you go from three, four hundred level, now you're going to five hundred level to MCSM. Um, the certification, it used to be, you know, product specific, so you were certified master on Exchange in 2007, 2010 into the MCSM wave now, it's going to be yearly or a three-year uh, cycle. So you'll be certified for three years, and then you'll have to recertify every three years to maintain your your MCSM. Um, and, again, like, like I said, this is pretty new, so some of these things might subject to change. Um, but pretty much that's from what I, you know, we, all our understanding is that's, that's kind of how it's going to be going forward. So it's, it's going to be more like, you know, version of Exchange or SharePoint or, or link, uh, you know, agnostic going forward.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I I know that when I applied, um, you know, getting back to a comment you made earlier, um, you had to you know supply your um, your MCP transcript um, as well as uh, examples of your work, so like a design document, yep. yeah, um, and things like that, and they would look through those and determine whether you know you were fit to to attend, um, and and I do know that in the last couple of rotations. Um, they have changed the schedule around where it used to be, um, you know, you were there for three weeks, you were in class, you know, five days or five and a half days a week, and the rest of the time was, you know, lab time and recovery time. Uh, And I know that in the last couple of rotations that they've gone to 21 straight days in the classroom and labs.
2: Right. uh, Hopefully you're having shorter days, which I – I don't know how that's going to work, but yeah, I mean these, you know, even 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 in the old schedule, I mean, you never really really off, but you did have at least one day to do laundry, <laughs> you know, right, in between right. studying, you know. Because because in the old
0: stuff. in the old days, I mean, you know, you're you were in class for you know 16 18 hours by the time you got through some of your labs and stuff, and and you you do that for three weeks straight, and that you know that's going to weaken even the strongest people, so. Um, you know, it's it's very uh, very challenging both physically and mentally. Um, the people there that are teaching the classes are are the people that um, you know own those particular pieces of the product, or are the, the recognized experts. Whether it's you know Greg Taylor or or whoever uh, talking about a a given topic, so you're getting it from the person that knows it better than anybody else uh, worldwide. I think. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, a fairly arduous uh, written test to take, pass or fail. And, of course, the killer uh, qualification lab uh, that has been known to make uh, <laughs> e- even strong men weep. Yeah.
5: Well. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so uh, you know, Michael, uh, you know, the be- best wishes to you. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll bug you about your process uh, some more. Did as, you, uh, as through
2: uh, it. Michael, did you actually schedule... What, rotation yet?
4: Yeah, yeah. I'll be going in uh, the rotation of May-June.
2: May-June. So
4: uh, I think it's the 20th of May till the 8th of June. So it's it's coming closer.
0: Now, we expect you on episodes during that time.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be, that might it. be a little um, difficult. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, uh, based on what I've heard, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting process to go through. And, uh, you know, best of luck to you, Michael.
2: Thanks. Yeah, I'm actually talking about, I'm, if I'm going to go, I'm going to try to hit the beta rotation if they'll let me in, um, which is March, uh, but uh, I don't have a 100% word on whether or not they're going to let us in or not.
0: Okay. Uh, and we have one uh, product review this time. Uh, Johan uh, just got himself a uh, new piece of Jabra hardware. And uh, Johan, uh, what do you think of it?
5: well I think it's a pretty nice thing. So it's a speakerphone uh, from Jabra, so you can uh, take it with you in your uh, in your bag or even in your jacket because it's not quite large but the, the sound quality is um yeah pretty good um, I tested it uh, you know, a few times and the sound is very clear you can you can hear the other person very cool very good. Uh, also, the microphone, uh, which integrated in it, does uh, work fine. Uh, there's an uh, additional uh, uh, option to, uh, to plug in a jack, if you if you like. But I didn't have time uh, to test that one. Uh, volume can be easily uh, um, controlled by pushing the device. So it's it, yeah, it was a nice experience uh, from my point of view. I've uh, I've seen. Uh, speakerphones uh, earlier but yeah this is the the newest phone uh, uh, from, from Java and works great
0: and that is the uh, speak 510 correct
5: yeah. yeah correct
0: yeah and I and that's um, I, I think I reviewed the the 410 um, early last year um, by far a fabulous piece of equipment and the 510 now builds uh, some Bluetooth capabilities into it and um, yeah. And, and we'll go back to, to Michael here. So, Michael, if you can um, uh, record audio in your uh, MCM rotation, which I've heard they now allow, the, uh, the Speak 510 and the 410 make phenomenal microphones for OneNote.
4: Okay, thanks for the tip. Yep. So, yeah, Ch-
0: Chabra, I know I love my 410. It goes everywhere with me, so I'm glad to see that the, the 510 continues on with the great quality.
2: Yeah, I tried using my laptop speakers mic last time I was there. it Doesn't work so well. <laughs> it wasn't useless, but it wasn't that great. I would yeah, actually do it
0: I actually got mine, uh, and I'm am a gadget whore, so you know I've got to have you know the latest and greatest of stuff. But I was reading um, somebody's um, blog article about their MCM rotation experience, and in uh, this guy mentioned that he used a, a speak 410 to record um the audio during classes into OneNote, and i had just been using this little tiny cheap two dollar um microphone that just plugged into the uh, the mic in jack of my laptop and it had horrible sound quality yeah um so i tried the 410 at a couple of uh conferences in fact i took it to um Uh, uh, Mech and uh, got some some audio there and it's phenomenal. It's a great microphone on top of being a fabulous uh, speakerphone. Um, You know, you can't you stick this thing in the middle of a table in a conference room and it's going to pick up everybody crystal clear. It's really nice. It's really easy to use. It's not overly comp- uh, complicated. Um, it, it's fabulous. And I, I did some reading on the 410 about uh, the fact that it now uses Bluetooth, so you can you can get it a little further away from your laptop if you need to. So, uh, so that's cool. Very cool. And uh, the last thing we wanted to mention is uh, our events. Of course, we keep plugging it, but we're gonna we're gonna keep doing so until uh, until it happens. The Link Conference. Uh, happens next month in San Diego, and if you have not looked at uh, going yet and you're a link professional, you should definitely look at the website um, linkconf.com uh, and think about going. They have uh, listed the sessions that will be available as well as what uh, vendors will be there. Uh, I know that at least four of the UC architects will be going, including myself, John, Tom, and uh, Stal Hansen. Um, and we will be giving away uh, some hardware. We've got some vendors that are donating some hardware, uh, including some Jabra stuff, uh, Logitech, uh, SNOM, uh, and Microsoft so far. So uh, definitely um, you, you want to stop by for your chance to uh, to win some free gear. So uh, check out that website and register, and we hope to see you there. Uh, we'll definitely be wearing our uh, black uh, T-shirts just like we were at Mech, so uh uh, you know, be sure to stop us and tell us uh, how much you hate us or love us or, uh, or whatever. I'd like to thank our guests today, um, Michelle DeRoy, John Cook, Sirkan Veriglu, Michael Van Hornbeek, and Johan Veldes. And we'd like to thank uh, two people who uh, help us uh, stay on track and sounding good. Actually, uh, uh, Michelle for being our producer today and uh, Michael Van Hornbeek for doing the editing. Uh, no doubt a, a thankless job so thanks thanks guys and that takes us to the end of our episode today we'd like to remind you that the UC architects are online visit our website at www.theucarchitects.com. on Twitter at the UC architects uh, we have a Facebook page facebook.com slash the UC architects and we have a page on LinkedIn. Our podcast episodes are available in the iTunes Store, the Zune Marketplace, and in your favorite RSS client like Outlook. See our website for links to everything. We'll see you back for the next episode with Steve Hosting.